Today's scripture is Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Allison. No, it, uh, it's been said a few times, but good morning again. Um, my name's Sean. I'm the lead pastor, teach pastor here for Redemption Peoria. If you're new, you'll probably see me about 35 to 38 times a year and then see uh, and hear from the other elders and some the pastoral residents and, um, and all that. But um, if you aren't familiar at all with Redemption Church, just know we're one church, nine different congregations. Each congregation is elder-led, lead pastor-led, um, and we would love to help you navigate if you're going to say, man, I'm going to be here for the long haul, help you navigate why we do things the way that we do, we'll be in the lobby uh, afterwards, and we can help you um, with any questions that you might have. Um, also, if you're new, just, just so you know, uh, we believe the best way to understand the Bible is to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Right now, though, we're in this series called Love Walked Among Us, which is um, a, really a look at the Gospels, but more specifically, the person of Jesus, and trying to understand how he acts, what he says, um, and, and even under that, him being the pinnacle of love, how that plays itself out. So we've had the opportunity to see him uh, continue to interact with all different kinds of people, but um, this morning it's a little bit different. He doesn't interact with a human. He ends up, in a, ends up interacting with uh, the devil and then has angels, which we won't really uh, talk through too much at the end, but it's a different kind of interaction. So we're going to unearth what some of that is. Before we get into that, though, I want to say this, because um, as we've looked at the person of Jesus, there's a, so much beauty at recognizing here is the perfect human being. I mean, as believers in Jesus Christ, we follow Jesus, yes, because he's God and he's Lord and he's our Savior, but also he's worth following. The life that he lived um, was worth emulating. And so as we look at him, we can continue to see things that we want to be like and we should want to be like, honestly. But that becomes um, hard sometimes. As we see his compassion and, and we, we look at uh, how he continues to interact, we go, that's beautiful on Sunday, but then we try to translate it. So here's the best way that um, this kind of clicked uh, for me the other day because uh, I was, so first of all, just about me, I'm, I don't like being touched, which of course, first service thought that is a huge invitation to touch me after first service. Um, I, I'll embrace like the hug, I'll just do it, it is what it is. I'm just not a touchy person. 
except with my family, my wife and my four kids, I feel like I'm just all about snuggling, okay? And so, um, you know, we've told people often that Candace and I, we're going to continue to adopt kids, but it's not because we're righteous or holy. It's just because on Sunday afternoon, I need a baby to snuggle with and nap with every Sunday afternoon. So I'm going to go home today. Whatever you're going to do your whole deal, Sunday afternoon is the Myers house. We relax. And I take like a one and a half, two, two and a half, three, three and a half hour nap, Okay. And so I'm going to get Anna, our daughter, and I'm going to snuggle her up, and it's going to be so beautiful. Like the endorphins are going to fill, and it's going to be awesome, okay? Now we're both going to start to doze off, and what's going to happen is she's going to start to move. Like, uh, her hair is going to start to hit my face. Uh. And what's going to happen eventually, as much as I love snuggling, and as beautiful as it is, I'm going to take my hands and my feet every Sunday. This will happen, okay? And I'm going to push her away from me, and I'm going to be a little irritated because she won't stop moving. I'm going to put the blanket and a pillow between her. I'm going to say, stay, and then I'm going to sleep. Then I'm really going to take my nap. And I was thinking, like, as I was going to sleep last week, I was thinking, that's exactly what I feel like as I look at the person of Jesus. It's like, oh, this is amazing. I want to be compassionate. I want to look at others this way. But when, like, the rubber meets the road and it becomes difficult and you're in the, the break room with that coworker who continues to talk, you're, you're uh, disciplining your kids and they're just not listening, it's hard to be these things. It's hard to follow Jesus in these ways. So I just want to encourage you um, Everything that is pushing, every ounce of you that is pushing against the ways of Jesus, it's not just beautiful on Sundays, or it's not just beautiful as we unpack it, but it is a truly a better way of being human. And all the other false gospels and narratives are teaching us and telling us otherwise, but following Jesus, it's not easy, it's not natural to, to settle in and go, this is better. So with that, we're going to look at this interaction where Jesus is not interacting with humans, but we're going to see some in some ways, some internal processing that goes on with Jesus. Now, here's what we know about Jesus Christ, okay? And if you're new to Christianity or you don't call yourself a Christian, you're in this room, you were to pick up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, here's what we can recognize about Jesus. Um, He declares himself uh, to be this son of God, and, and we start to associate, and so we understand a fancy term called the hypostatic union, that he's fully God and fully man. And as we look at his manness, here, here's his humanness. As we look at it, what we find over and over and over in the Gospels is, as a human, Jesus relies on the Father. Everywhere he goes, if we're going to emulate who this person is, he's constantly relying on the Father. So let me give you some examples of text. In John 5, we're just going to do the Gospel of John 5, 19, it says this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. In John 12, 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. In John 8, 28, I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the father taught me over and over and over again. To follow Jesus is to recognize we are to be a people who rely heavily on the Father. Now that's going to be important because this morning we're going to talk about temptation, which of course is something that we can all uh, relate to, specifically as believers in Jesus Christ. But as we go through these temptations, I'm going to stop in verse 1, spend a little bit of time too, and then I'm going to kind of go through the temptations themselves, and then we're going to circle back and explain what ultimately I think is going on here. But we're going to see a relying on something else. If love is in this picture, what's love doing as it relies on the Father? So Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted 
by the devil. Verse 1, let's stop. Again, this is what it says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The context is he was just baptized. Then the Spirit, this is important, leads him. So let's just stop real quick. To look at the person of Jesus is to look at someone who's led by the Spirit. Now, it's going to be difficult if you're not a believer of Jesus Christ in here, but if you are, my hope is that your heart starts to tick a little bit on that. What does that look like? What does that mean? I mean, it's, he's not like following this ghost into the wilderness. There's something going on inside of him. To, to be fully human is to listen to the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to follow Jesus Christ, is to hear that still, small voice. And as believers, we're learning it. Right? I know I'm learning it, trying to figure out what he's saying, but trying to be obedient at the same time, going over and over. But here's Jesus. He's led by the Spirit, and this is what the Spirit leads him into. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Um, there's some few things on this that we've got to unpack. The first thing is this. Uh, when you read that word tempted, just know in Greek, the word tempted and trials are the same word. Okay? And this is important because a first century understanding of temptation or a trial at its core, I like how Piper under, uh, uh, began to unpack this, it was this idea of testing. That the Spirit leads Jesus to be tested. Which sounds weird because you, you hear a lot in the areas of, all, of apologetics, biblical apologetics, that this is some kind of contradiction. You have verses like James 1 that would say, uh, God doesn't tempt anyone, and yet we see within, I think in Genesis 22, Abraham is tested. So just to be clear as how we're to unpack this, what we see, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So, I mean, it's just real simple biblical understanding that what we can find is God is never the direct object of temptation, but rather, this is important, he allows his people to have their faith tested, whether that be through temptation or trial. First Peter 1 says that our faith is like gold to be refined by fire. That God says, you say you love me, you, you say you're following me, here's a test, here's a trial, here's a temptation. And the Spirit leads Jesus as a trailblazer in this, which I think is um, pretty cool. Now, here's what I want you to see as we're going to unpack these trials and temptations. Every time, again, as a believer in Jesus Christ, what we're going to see with Jesus Christ, every time you're tempted, okay, specifically in the area of temptation, it is always by, and I can't think of an, an example outside of this, always by a good thing, but the wrong way. A temptation is always taken. The devil always takes something that God gives us that is good and says, treat it the wrong way. So that's true of money. That's true of sex. That's true of relationships. It's take this good thing from God as a gift to humans. Now, we as believers in Jesus Christ see that good gift. We recognize it as a good gift. We, we present it as holy to him. But there's opportunity to take this good gift and distort it. And what Jesus is going to experience is the same temptation. That's why the writer of Hebrews says he's been tempted like us but does not sin, but did not sin. It's important because as we see the temptations of Jesus, they're good things but the wrong means. Okay? So verse 2, it says this. And after fasting 40 days, he was hungry. That makes sense. 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him. So I just, I want us to get in this picture um, this is the last thing. No, we, I promise we will hit the temptations. Um, the context here is Jesus has gone without food for 40 days in a wilderness. Like, it, like he's, he has not eaten anything. So by way of example, let me just explain this. I've shared with you guys before. Last year at this time, 
myself and, and some of the other elders, and I, I brought some, of, uh, some GCU students who were interns at the time and asked them to partake in this. But we, the 21 days leading up to Easter last year, we did a water-only fast. So for 21 days, we only had water. And it's funny because um, fasting has been something part of a practice, and just my own tradition that I came from as when I got saved. But it's newer to, well, just the Reformed community in general, if I could be honest with you. But that and prayer and this Holy Spirit, FYI, he exists. Uh, but, and clapping, I can go on and on. But regardless. Um, but here's, here's, here's what I would say to this. Um, these guys, after just 20 days, the day before Easter, were setting up for Good Friday and Easter. 20 days, halfway to where Jesus is, these dudes are looking rough, right? I mean, we've already lost 30, 40 pounds. We're trying to push these speakers around. And you can just see they're like, like moving. I look in their face and they're just every step, they just sit down and go, Sean, I think I'm going to die. Okay, hear me. That's halfway, halfway, 20 days in. Now you got to go a whole nother 20 days, Stevie. Okay. Whole nother 20 days. And so 40 days of not eating, you're depleted. And hear me, as we look at the person of Jesus, we see this a lot. Not spiritually, but physically. Jesus is a man of depletion. He gives himself away. He gives himself away. He's constantly moving towards the other, constantly removing the flesh, fighting against these things that we hold so dearly to. And so as we see Jesus, he's 40 days without food, and that's when the tempter comes. That's important. Because by all rights and purposes, it's a moment of weakness when it would come to the flesh. That's when the tempter comes. It says this, Verse 3, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Simple. You haven't eaten in 40 days. Here's some stones. You have the ability to turn these stones into bread. Do it. Jesus responds, No. And quotes a verse. We're going to unpack that in a second. He quotes, No. Man shall not live on bread alone. No. Test number two. The devil, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Verse seven, Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord, your God to the test. So now he brings him up as he walks him over to the pinnacle of the temple. He says, listen, throw yourself down. He misuses Psalm 91. Throw yourself down. If you're the Messiah, we could bypass this whole thing. Prove it now. Boom, you'll be saved. Jesus responds, no. No, I'm not going to test God. And, and the verse that he uses is real important, which we'll come back to again in a second. Fine, test number three. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he worshiped, and he, or I'm sorry, and he said to him, all these I have given you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So fine, that didn't work. You, you're hungry. It makes sense. You would want food, but you don't want to do this. You're not bypassing this comfort. Fine. Let's prove it. Not bypassing this, this power. So he takes him up onto this mountain. And this is kind of weird for us to understand. We've got to use our imagination a little bit. Um, he shows them all the nations of the world in their glory. So there's some type of vision going on here that we don't fully understand what's going on. Cause it's not like from where Jesus is standing, he can see Rome. 
or he can see parts of Asia, or he can see America. He can't see these nations, but he sees all the nations of the earth in their glory, the pinnacle of where they are. He says, it's simple. And maybe the offer is to not tempt them. I don't know what it is. These nations are mine, is the devil's declaration. If you bow down to me, they're yours. You can have them. And Jesus responds with, no. Now, as we read through these temptations at the end, it says this, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So when it's all said and done, um, he's done. Angels come and minister him as to what that means. Bring him food. I'm not sure. Um, but there's a clear, uh, like he did it. Devil didn't pass. He didn't win. He passed these tests. However you want to word it, Jesus did it. So what do we do with this whole deal? And there's what, what is going on completely? Um, first I want to, answer this question because this is what I usually get when, um, when I teach this text or walk through somebody through this test is, um, and it's kind of important to, to our context, is could have Jesus sinned? So Jesus is presented, presented with all of these temptations, but what you hear a lot is, yeah, 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 what would Jesus do? But Jesus is, well, Jesus. And we're studying the humanity of Jesus, and as we look at the humanness of Jesus, we have to begin to go, well, could, did he rely on his godness to avoid these temptations? And I'm going to go with no. No, he did not. But still, is it like, did Jesus, or could Jesus have uh, 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 given into this sin? Well, let me just very briefly, as an apologetic, this is a side note. Um, there's a lot of words that are used uh, for this within uh, theology, but in short, we would say that, yes, if you mean, could, was Jesus presented with temptation, uh, in the sense, could he have been tempted, could he have sinned with the opportunity in front of him externally? Yes. But the answer ultimately is, could Jesus have sinned? The answer would be No. And if you understand Reformed theology, there's a pretty close parallel to this in the same way that you've become a believer. Would you have become a believer within you without the Spirit doing something first within you, something called regeneration? No, right? You did not have the ability to call on God without God doing something first within you. And so in the same way, what Jesus is or who Jesus is, his godness would not allow him to, to sin. Joshua Butler in his book, The Pursuing God, I thought said it really well. He said this, Jesus could have sinned, the opportunity was presented to him on the outside, but he would not have sinned because of who he is on the inside. Jesus faces the external fork in the road, but his internal compass would never walk down that dark path. Jesus reveals who he is on the inside, which is clean, okay? That's all I'm going to say on that because I don't think that's important uh, to the context. To be honest with you, I think for the most part, it's a Western question. I don't think anybody in the first century is reading this. I think there's something more going on here, and that's what I want to unpack with you because here's the deal. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, this whole deal just feels weird. I mean, honestly, it feels almost out of narrative. It feels like, here's Jesus, birth cool, baptized cool, but he, he runs with, with, uh, in this moment with Satan, and we don't find him interacting in the same way at all. He calls Judas uh, the, the son of the devil. I mean, the Pharisees are close with serpents, but we don't see this interaction again. This seems blatant. All other temptation seems to be covert. This seems to be a blatant thing. So what's going on here? And what we've tried to explain when we go through a gospel is the gospel writer is writing this narrative intentionally to a certain group of people. And that's true here. So listen, we've been able to say, Jesus says, as it is written, he quotes scripture. Oh, this is amazing. It's way better than that. What's happening right here, what doesn't make sense to us, is so much cooler than what we think is going on. It's not just Jesus being tempted, but something is being played out here. Every time Jesus is tempted, he's quoting a specific verse. 
And what he's doing is he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Now, yes, Satan's coming on the scene, and, and, and the same temptation, it's been true of what he tempted Adam and Eve with. He also tempts us with. That's all the same. But Jesus is doing something that the early church called recapitulation. He, he's becoming a new head, capitulate, uh, kapato is where we get our word he, like head or captain from. He's becoming this new figurehead in this moment. And the way that he's doing it is, Matthew is writing language that the original readers would hear and begin to connect dots with. So what I mean by that is, the people of Israel walk through the same type of temptations that Jesus just walked through. The original readers would know this story. They too were tempted with worshiping false idols. They too struggled with faith. And it's all amidst, this is important, Jesus for 40 days being tempted in the wilderness. You know where we hear that same language? You know where we hear the same language? Listen. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God, this is Deuteronomy. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for, for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character, to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. The story that Jesus is doing in this moment is every time he's tempted with the same temptation Israel's given, he quotes the command that God gave the people of Israel in Deuteronomy. So I don't, so just by way, let's just do the first one. So here's the people of God removed from Egypt. They're removed from Egypt. Here they are trying to trust God. They're hungry. You know what God does? Some bizarre act. He has food grow from the ground, this manna. And he says, listen, trust me. I'll take care of you. You're in the wilderness. I've got you. You rely on me and me alone. So here's the bread. Eat this bread that's growing from the ground. You don't think that's weird? I'm doing it. It's real. And so they take this bread. They go, now listen, everything that's extra, throw it out. And they go, but God, wait a minute. What are we going to eat tomorrow? Guess what? Trust in the word of God. Trust me. I'll provide for you. Next day they wake up, more bread. Okay, well, that's me. Next day, more bread. So eventually what happens though is the people of Israel amidst this test, they're hungry, they worry, they take the bread, they say, but what if he doesn't provide? And so they jar up the bread. The bread grows moldy, they fail the test. All they had to do was trust that God was going to provide. And you know what Jesus quotes in this moment? Quotes Deuteronomy 8.4. Or 8.2, the, the verse prior. Listen, Satan, you can tempt me to give in to this test and this weakness, but I don't live on bread alone. I live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus succeeds where his people fail. He is the better captain. It's, a, it's awesome. Now, we don't see this because we're not connecting adults, but he does the same thing for, by quoting Deuteronomy 6.16, 6.13. He's quoting the same thing, the story, the narrative, to not worship false idols. I'm not going to worship false idols. I'm going to succeed where Israel has failed. Awesome. It's awesome. But getting at the person of Jesus, what are we supposed to do with this then? Like, how, how do we, like, see this interaction just as a whole? And I've tried to finish these times with two uh, different things here, which is one, what do we do for our own personal souls? Like we, we see the person of Jesus and how he interacts with temptation. Well, what do we do with that? And two, what do we do in the area of mission with Jesus here? I want to start with that, that latter one first. Um, I love that Paul Miller points this out in his book. Jesus absolutely has the power to turn stones into bread. So hear me, he's not comfortable. Do you understand? The humanness of Jesus is tired. He's hungry. He's needy. 
And he has the power to remove the need, to bypass the discomfort, and he doesn't. And so as I look at the person of Jesus, this is something that I think just washed over me as I read this part in uh, Paul Miller's book is, Jesus has this power, but he doesn't use it for himself. Over and over and over, what we find in the Gospels is Jesus using this same power. He has the ability to to multiply food. We know that because he does it for the other, for 4,000, for 5,000. He has the ability, but he doesn't do it for himself. Brothers, sisters, hear me when I say this. You have a platform. You, You have power. You have finances. How long will we as the people of God continue to make those things about us? Use our power, our prestige, our platform, our finances on us. Just last Monday in our community, we went through the small prophet Haggai. And as we went through, you know what the Haggai's insanely upset about? The main issue that he's running into is the fact that here, the people of God have been brought back to a city to build the city. It's been destroyed. Build the city. And your job is to build your homes and to build the temple of God. Haggai comes on the scene and says this, you're spending all your time on your homes. All your time is about you. Can't you see that your little kingdom will fail you? You have power, you have the ability to build while the temple of God suffers. This is what we're doing, and Jesus does not do this. He has the ability to bypass comfort, he has power, he has platform, and he gives it away constantly serving the other that's someone worth following and it's definitely not easy but then what do we do how do we internalize this for our own soul and um i've been waiting a couple weeks actually to share this moment because i feel like what um, i see in the person of jesus is a little old school here uh honestly it's a little like old-time religion if i could be honest with you fire and brimstone type stuff a little bit cultural, culturally backwards, if I could be candid. Um, but it's something that our brothers and sisters have relied on for not just hundreds of years, millennia. And that as we look at the person of Jesus, and as he's being tempted by the serpents, as a man, I can't help but think this one simple statement that so many of us forget. Obedience matters obedience matters. How long are we going to tread so lightly in this area of sin? Like some kids playing out in the street during wartime, we act like it's just casual, free grace, do what you want, do your own thing. I sin, but God's good. Obedience matters. As we see the person of Jesus not caving, I can't help but process this. Obedience matters. This is why one of the books have been copied and copied over and over. One of the, I I think, greatest besides the Bible, at least in the top five, is the Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan is laying out this idea that this man named Christian leaves the city of destruction behind him, and he heads towards Zion. He runs into all these different figures, faithfulness, runs into all these different people, But the largest battle that you experience is Apollyon, and it's the tempter, and it is all-out war. You want to know what Bunyan's trying to commit in this moment? Obedience matters. 
To see the person of Jesus, to follow the person of Jesus, we have to see that obedience matters. That love pushes us towards being obedient towards the Father. Now, it's interesting because Josh has said what he said about uh, we have grace and we sing these songs over and over. And if you hear that, counter to what I'm saying, you miss the whole thing. Because what love does is it propels us towards obedience, The irony of this whole text is, right before Jesus is tempted, he comes out of the water, and you know what the Father declares? He says, you're accepted. This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. You're accepted. Jesus is not going to be tempted so he can be accepted. He's already accepted. And you know what the result of being accepted is? Obedience. Because I love What grows out of Jesus being accepted by the Father, being loved by the Father, what love walks in front of us, obedience matters. It's hard. No, we're not done. We're not done. Because you can't read Philippians 1, 19 through 30. You can't read Galatians 5, Colossians 3, Ephesians 4. You can't read any of these texts, 1 Corinthians 6. You can't over and over read these texts without recognizing obedience matters. And as the church continues to go wayward, back and forth, thinking we can do whatever we want, treating grace so trivial, trivial, trivially, trivially, is that a word? So trivial, we're treating it trivial, that's the point, okay? And, and we do this and we continue to act like it's, it's not a big deal to do what we want in our own ways, but obedience matters. So to leave you, I want to leave you with a story that is bonkers, um, Last week, um, yeah, it's just so crazy. We're a week ahead of the other congregation. So every, um, every week we get together on Wednesdays to study the text that's 10 days out. All the lead pastors get together, all the teaching pastors get together uh, to, to talk through uh, the text that's 10 days out. So we're one week ahead. So this week we talked about, this last uh, Wednesday, we talked about Matthew 4, but all the other congregations are on a Sunday from now. And the reason that's important is because this text kind of sprung up on me. And I was like tripping out because here's what happened. On Tuesday night, I get this text from uh, a number I didn't know. And it just says, hi, Eric. My name's not Eric, FYI. Hi, Eric. Um, I, I'm back in town. I want to connect. If you still want to connect, um, something, blah, blah, blah. This is Jenny, something, blah, 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 blah. And it's a picture of this girl holding her shirt up, right? And it's just her. And Candace is sitting right next to me. We're watching The Office, of course. We're sitting there watching The Office. And, of course, there's a million things going through my mind because the picture pulls up, and I feel like, okay, just so you know, it says to Eric, this is not to me. Like, let's be clear, okay? So this is weird because um, this happened to me about six years ago when I was actually getting ready to go up and preach one time. This woman sent me a picture, and it was extremely awkward. She clearly meant to send it to her husband. I said, this is the wrong number. I'm so sorry. And she said, oh, my gosh, please erase it. And I said, I will, and it was just done. Like, she told Candace, never again. So I get this picture now, and I go, why does this keep happening to me, okay? And it's interesting. So just my own story, um, I never got caught up in pornography by God's grace. And Candace and I were sexually active before we were married, but um, 12 years we've been married and I chose not to bring any sexual sin into our, our marriage. And it's been awesome. God's been really faithful and I haven't got caught up in any of that. So this image appears and it's seared on my mind. This, I don't, this is not something that I even dabble in. So an image like that, it sears into my mind and I could not shake it. So I eventually text back, sorry, this is the wrong number. She responds back with, well, huh, that's Eric, what a jerk. I, he, he probably gave me the wrong number. Well, I gave you my name, what's yours? 
And Candace is sitting right there. Of course, Candace is all kind of upset. I don't even want to respond. I want to let this thing die. She's like, no, you need to say, I'm just breathe, okay? So I say, listen, I'm happily married. You got the wrong number. I'm sorry for the confusion. Then I block the number. End, right? But the image doesn't go away. And again, like just something that I haven't walked in. And so I'm thinking all kinds of things that I don't want to think. And I can't stop thinking about it. There are moments even when I want to stop, but I want to imagine it more. If you've ever been in it, and it's, it's awful. So I wake up the next day and it's still there. I've got about a 45 minute, well, probably an hour and 45 minute drive to Gilbert uh, in the morning to go to the preaching collective. And so I'm driving out there and the whole time I'm not listening. I try to listen to radio, but I can't I try to listen to a podcast, but I can't. I just keep thinking of this image. Keep thinking of what could be. I hate it. And I've already, at this point, I've texted the elders, said, pray for me. Uh, Candace is well aware, every security, but the image is in my mind. So I get to the preaching collective, and we open up to Matthew 4. And my heart starts going, oh my gosh. Like, and so we're, I'm reading the temptation of Jesus, reading the temptation of Jesus. And after the preaching collective, um, this is where it gets important. Let me just stop on the story. I promise I'll tell you the rest because it gets even crazier. Um, when I was processing this, I'm, I'm avoiding or trying not to think of this image and avoiding sin. Yes, because I know it hurts the heart of God. I know that it's detrimental to my soul. I recognize all those things. But obedience matters even more than that. And, and let me just prove it to you. So I go to the preaching collective, and at the end I share, hey, listen, I got this image. I know it seems kind of silly, but um, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. And, if, you know, it just is. It's just weird. I was just sharing, like, God showing. I mean, he's just turning things in my heart in the moment as we're reading Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Well, after collective, everybody prays for me, which I was, I was grateful for. Well, and I'm not going to use names, but one of the guys, one of the other pastors goes, dude, I got the same text about a month ago. I go, what? So I deleted the image from my phone, but uh, my phone is connected to my computer. And I go, dude, I bet the image is still on my computer. So I go through the text list on my computer and it's still there. And I go, was it this image? Same image. Okay. So I'm tripping out. I'm like, oh, this is, you know, whatever. So then the guy across from us at the table goes, you guys aren't going to believe this. Right now I'm doing counseling for a guy in our church who got the same text, but he started to text back and forth, started to send images started to do some things sexually on video and sent it to her. And he sent, made this video of him doing some things uh, and sent this video back to her. And she said, that's awesome. If you don't give me $10,000, I'm going to make it public. Crazy. So I heard this and I just was like, like I felt like in that moment, a billion pounds was just like, and all I said to myself, because we were getting ready to go to these health pods where we get together as lead guys. All I said to myself as I was walking was, God, thank you, I passed this test. Thank you, I passed this test. Because this guy, even first it was at, he, he uh, ended up giving 5,000. And then she said, no, I want 10,000 more now, a month later. And so eventually he said, I got to do something because they're going to make it public. His, his marriage is destroyed. So here's what I want to do, how I want to finish. And this is what I need you to seat deep into your heart. Jesus is obedient, but let's take this macro scale. If Jesus isn't obedient, what does that mean? How does the destruction of Christianity happen in that moment? Now take my little microcosm now. You can look and you go, just, just think. Some of you come with so many church wounds. What if Sean Myers, the pastor of Redemption Peoria, texts back and forth, sent a video, and failed that test? Um, what would that do to Redemption Peoria? What would that do to your hearts? What would that do to my family? Imagine the carnage that is all around. Here's what's crazy. You can look at that scenario and go, yeah, that's a big deal. Hear me, this is why sin is sneaky. What you're doing is just of a big deal. 
You think that every click, every glance, every flirt, every time you enter in an area you shouldn't, when you walk down paths you shouldn't, when you're disobedient, you think it won't matter, but it will, and that's the trick. That's what he's doing in this moment. It's just easy. Just bow down. Just turn stones. Just jump. It's that simple. But the carnage that follows is crazy. Obedience matters. It matters. And to follow the person of Jesus, to walk out love, is to be obedient. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Um, Jesus, as we get to see you in, uh, as a, a moment of weakness, you know, there's no one in this room who fully understands what was going on with you. So it's hard to kind of use our imaginations and picture the, the devil of a body form. We don't know all that, but it feels like, at least for myself, and I pray on behalf of our congregation that uh, it's like our heart understands what you're going through. Like the temptation it's like it's, it's real, like we can, we can resonate with that. And as we follow you, as we look at you as a human, um, I would just pray that we would follow your lead and that we would be like you and we would be quick to remove these temptations. We would be quick to not try to dabble in um, areas of lust, areas of greed, areas of anger, but we would, we would walk a path of righteousness that, that deals with these things quickly and that you would teach us to follow you is to be obedient to the Father. And Jesus, more than anything, I pray that all of this would grow out of being accepted. That we would know we are loved, we know that we are accepted, and because of that, we want to follow you. Make our heart palpitate in that direction. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your grace and your goodness that you passed this test for your people. Your people failed. We will fail, but you succeeded. And we're grateful for that. I pray that we would follow your example. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.